Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio. Hello and greetings in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. My name is Dewey Johnson. My wife, Diana, and I have been in ministry together over 40 years after meeting at Fort Wayne Bible College. We have served in a number of ministry positions together during that time, and now we are part of a Messianic Jewish and Gentile congregation where we worship and honor our Messiah and coming King Jesus together. We have learned so much more now that we are getting so much of the backstory of what we read in scripture. We must remember that God used the Jewish people writing to Jewish people to communicate his word within their language, their culture, and their land. What did the human author intend to say? And what did the hearers understand? The Bible should never change in meaning just because it is being read by a different people in a different land and in a different time. So what some of what I will share in this message may be a different perspective than what you may be used to, but hang with me. We'll stick to the revealed word of God. Let's look to the Lord. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters from your word what we can know and how we might prepare ourselves for the days ahead. We need you, Father. Speak to us even now, we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Much is happening in our world today that is causing concern, distress, discouragement. Is the world coming to an end? How do we prepare? Invest in gold and silver? Do we go off the grid? Do we stock up on essentials? Where do we start? Much to the surprise, if not a few, God's word does give us clear, definite, and practical answers. During an in-depth study on prophecy, biblical prophecy, with a Bible study group, two statements in the book of the revelation of Jesus grabbed our attention. The first three verses of the book of Revelation say, this is the revelation which God gave to Jesus the Messiah so that he could show his servants what must happen very soon. He communicated it by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah as much as he saw. Blessed are the reader and hearers of the words of this prophecy, provided they obey the things written in it, for the time is near. 
Then near the end of the book, we read in Revelation 22.7, Look, I am coming very soon. Blessed is the person who obeys the words of the prophecy written in the book. Those statements beg the question, what commands are given in this book that we are to obey? Is not the book of Revelation just a pre-written history of what's going to happen in the last days? Are there commands? A thorough search through the entire book yielded seven letters to seven congregations with the prophetic commands embedded within them. After our discovery, and we began to understand uh, what we had found, we found a book written by a Messianic Jewish scholar and rabbi, Dr. Daniel Juster, entitled Passover, the key that unlocks the book of Revelation. This book not only confirmed what we were finding, but shows how God uses patterns in prophecy to help us understand what is to come. Just as God prepared the Hebrews in Egypt for their 40-year trek through the desert, he is similarly, through the book of Revelation, giving us glimpses into the future to prepare us for what is yet to come. Before we look at those, let's get a look at the big picture, God's plan of redemption over all the ages. God painted a picture. Now a great sign was seen in heaven, Revelation 12, a woman clothed with the sun, under her feet the moon, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, and about to give birth, and she screamed in the agony of labor. Another sign was seen in heaven. There was a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven royal crowns. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of heaven and threw them down to the earth. It stood in front of the woman about to give birth so that it may devour the child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, the one who will rule all the nations with a staff of her iron. But her child was snatched up to God and his throne, and she fled into the desert where she has a place prepared by God so that she can be taken care of for 1260 days, that is three and a half years. Interestingly, this vision spans almost all of known history. It involves a prophecy that was fulfilled when Jesus came the first time when he was born in Bethlehem. It records what is yet to come when he returns. But interestingly, this vision of John is recorded by God in the heavens. Who made the stars? Who ordered the constellations? Interestingly, the creator himself painted a picture 
using the stars and constellations, actually seven pictures that, several pictures that describe from eternity past what Almighty God was planning. At specific times through the ages, this may be a new thought for some of you, hang tight, the constellation Virgo, the Virgin, is seen with the moon at her feet, a crown of 12 stars above her head, and Draco, the dragon, aiming toward her. Now, before anyone might accuse the Bible of dabbling in astrology, Remember that the stars no more dictate what will happen than a thermometer affects the temperature of a room. A thermostat is required for that function. God merely painted in the heavens what he is and will do. As the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The dome of the sky speaks the works of his hands. Every day it utters speech. Every night it reveals knowledge. Without speech, without a word, without their voices being heard, their line goes through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So what's the story? Because of the fallenness of man, because of the opposition by the adversary, God would send a savior, his son, who, though he might be crucified, buried, and rise again, in the end will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Even his ascension to the right hand of the Father and his eventual return to this earth to rule the nations have been recorded in the heavens for all of the ages. Now, the Lord Jesus himself gave us parables to prepare us for the days of head, ahead, one of which is recorded in Matthew 25. We read from verse 1, the kingdom of heaven at that time, speaking of the future, will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. The foolish ones took their lamps with them, but no oil, whereas the others took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now the bridegroom was late, so they all went to sleep. It was the middle of the night when the cry rang out, the bridegroom is here, go out to meet him. The girls all woke up and prepared and prepared their lamps for lighting. The foolish ones said to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both you and us. Go to the oil dealers and buy some for yourselves. But as they were going off to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came. Sir, sir, they cried, let us in. 
But he answered, indeed, I tell you, I don't know you. So stay alert because you know neither the day nor the hour. So what is the purpose of the oil in this parable? Olive oil was fuel for light and God's word is that oil and that light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my foot and a light on my path. And remember John 1, 14, the word, Yeshua, Jesus, became a human being and lived with us. And we saw his Shekinah, that is the glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The word our Messiah, the written word, really are all the same, and they are the light for our path. I'll go on from here to look at some of the light as revealed in Revelation 2 and 3 that give us practical commands to prepare for what is ahead. In the letter to Ephesus, the Lord gives us the first admonition to prepare us for what is coming. He says, you have lost your first love. Therefore, remember where you were before you fell, turn from this sin, and do what you used to do before. Now, interestingly, this command is not one of remembering the chronologically first love, what you loved first, but the love of priority, what should be our first love. The Lord tells us in the 22nd chapter of Matthew what that first love, the highest priority is when he was asked, what are the, what is the greatest command? He said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He added the second one, which was quoted from Leviticus chapter 19, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest first priority and most important commands. Now, when we love the Lord, we put him first place in our lives, and out of love for him, we live lives of obedience to him. He is able to guide us. When we love him, he is able to guide us and direct us, so we know what we should do. Now, what God may direct me to do physically to prepare for difficult times may differ from how he may direct you. But if we're both making our love for God highest priority, when we are in communion with him, when we are reading his word and hiding his word in our hearts, he'll show us individually what we must do. So rule number one, love God completely. I might add here that oftentimes we are tempted to try and jump the loving of God and move to specific things that we feel we must do to prepare for the future. 
But doing those things become meaningless if, if we have not put God first place in our lives. Next, to Smyrna we read, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the adversary is going to have some of you thrown in prison in order to put you to the test, and you will face an ordeal for 10 days. Remain faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your crown. More than ever before, believers are suffering and even dying for their faith. But since we know the eventual outcome, we may not, we need not fear, for we know the end of the story. You know, you might say to those that may threaten our lives, we can say to them, hey, I'll be back. Because the Lord said, not only will he be coming back, but he will bring those with him when he comes that have proceeded in death. So rule number two, that we need to ingrain in ourselves to prepare for days ahead is fear not. Love God completely, then fear not. Then comes the message to Pergamum. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have some people who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Balak, who taught Balak to set a trap for the people of Israel so that they would eat food that had been sacrificed to idols and commit sexual sin. Likewise, you too have people who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, turn from these sins. Watch out. Don't get sucked into false teachings. Have that Berean spirit that we find in the book of Acts that searches things out in the scripture to make sure that you are not getting sidetracked, that you are not being blindsided. There's a lot of stuff being taught out there that doesn't reflect the rest of the word of God. Be careful. Stay true to the word of God. To Thyatira, he simply says, I'm not loading you up with another burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. What is it that we have? Love, trust, service, and perseverance. Those really are our ministries to other people. So hold on tightly to the ministry that you have. I know what you are doing. Uh, to Sardis, he writes, you have a reputation for being alive, but in fact, you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains before it dies too. For I have found what you are doing incomplete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and obey it and turn from your sin. For if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief 
and you don't know at what moment I will come upon you. Rule number five, wake up. Don't fall asleep with the monotony of playing church, doing ministry, doing things by rote. Rather, that relationship with the Lord and with one another needs to be very much alive. To Philadelphia, he wrote, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Actually, Philadelphia is one of the only letters that really has no reprimands, but he is still giving them or giving us direction. He says, when you're doing the right thing, don't be discouraged. Hang in there. Can't help but think of Jeremiah, the prophet. Did people listen to him? Mm, no. God told him to go and preach and even warned them that the people would not be listening. But Josh, or Jeremiah kept on teaching and preaching in spite of the fact that people were not listening. So when you're doing the right thing, don't be discouraged. Hang in there. That brings us to Laodicea. I have to give credit here to Dr. Ray Vanderlaan, who has taught about the natural springs around Laodicea that gives a different take on what we typically and traditionally see this letter to be about. Minor uh, difference is that Laodicea was a city where there were springs. There were hot springs, there were cold springs, and there were lukewarm springs. Now the hot springs had a benefit. They were healing waters. You've all heard of hot springs. We have some in our country, in Arkansas, and people go there for the healing properties of those hot springs, breathing the steam, the vapors, soaking in some of the hot springs. When we were on staff at the Campus Crusade for Christ, we'd enjoy going when the headquarters were out in San Bernardino, down to the hot springs below the hotel. If I started to come down with a case of the flu, <clears throat> I'd go down to the hot springs and hide in the steam caves for 15, 20 minutes. And it seems like it would knock the bug right out of me. Hot springs can be valuable for healing. Then there were the cold springs. Nothing like a refreshing drink from a cold spring. It invigorates, it is refreshing. It beats city water any day of the week. But then there were some other springs that spewed out lukewarm water that tasted terrible. 
kind of reminds me of my growing up years in northern northwestern Ohio. We had what's called sulfur water. It was hard, if not impossible, to drink. If you didn't have a ton of filters hooked up to it, the water would actually come out of the tap black. It wasn't pretty and it tasted terrible. And just having that um, sulfur water in the house even caused my mother's wedding dress that was packed and wrapped in plastic to turn brown. Bad news. Here's the message from the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know what you are doing. You are neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. For you keep saying, I am rich. I've gotten rich. I don't need a thing. I don't, you don't know that you are the one who is wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. My advice to you is to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white clothing, so that you may be dressed and not have to be ashamed of your nakedness. And I salve to rub on your eyes so that you may see. As for me, I rebuke and discipline everyone I love, so exert yourselves and turn from your sins. Here, I am standing at the door knocking. If someone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he will eat with me. I will let him who wins the victory sit with me on my throne, just as I also myself won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, from this we learn that we either need to be a healing hot spring or a cool, refreshing spring that attracts others to the Lord. One of the common complaints of the world about Christians is that they are cranky, they're gloomy, and people have even said, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want to be one. Well, what kind of testimony are we? If we're a healing hot spring or a cool refreshing spring that attracts others to the Lord, that's a positive testimony. If we're a lukewarm, repulsive source of foul water that drives people away from the Lord, we're not advancing the work of the kingdom. So again, there are commands to prepare us for the days to come. What are they? Love God wholeheartedly. Live lives of obedience to his word. Live lives of love to our fellow man, encouraging, blessing, enriching, 
in bringing people to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Secondly, fear not, even in the face of suffering and death. Third, stay true to the word of God. Fourth, hold on tightly to the ministry you have. Fifth, wake up. Be alive. Don't fall asleep with the monotony of playing church, playing Christian, but be a real believer. Kind of reminds me of something my son told me of a friend of his who attended a public school. Our, our sons were homeschooled, but uh, he was asked by a person at school, in the public school, that she asked him, sir, are you a Christian or are you a real Christian? Well, what did she mean? Well, we live in what some have called the Bible Belt. Culturally, it is very appropriate to be a Christian. Well, you could be a Christian in name only. And when no one's looking, do it as you please. But a real Christian is someone who loves the Lord and it affects every area of their lives. They're people of integrity. That it doesn't matter whether anyone is looking or not. They will do the right thing. Then, when you are doing the right thing, even if you feel like Jeremiah the prophet, don't be discouraged. Hang in there. And then the last command is for us to either be a healing hot spring or a cool, refreshing spring that attracts others to the Lord. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be a repulsive source of foul water that drives people away from the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do give us explicit commands that we can follow. And as we're walking with you, you will lead us even more explicitly in the things we must do as we face the difficulties of these last days. Thank you that you will prepare us and use us, and most importantly, for furthering your kingdom. We pray, B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Amen. May God bless you all richly, and hope to see you again. Amen. Remember a time, a time of prosperity, a time of liberty, as when we used to take a stand for freedom, and each person made a difference. But then the world changed. Isolation came in, obedience, corporate evil. I choose to fight back. I'm going to take a stand. Wellness is the key, and nature has our answers. Our children are our future. 
switch your shopping dollars. Switch them back to Made in Canada and the USA. Take a stand. Take a stand for liberty. Visit MyLibertyStand.com. That's www.MyLibertyStand. Right on, right on, right on. Live right. Live right. In the real world. Right on radio. Right on radio.